Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This episode covers Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 2, Far From Home. Enjoy the show? It's me, yep. your old pal Jack Dorino, and, and I brought a friend along. That's me, I'm uh, Earl Grey. Earl, how's your day been today? No comment. Well, I guess that's okay. Uh... <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, short. I, short. I'll leave it at that. Short's a, short's a good thing. Short's, short means that you have time to get into another exciting episode of Star Trek Discovery. That is Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 2, which is entitled Far From Home. Kind of what I expected was for us to tool around a little more with Michael Burnham. And it was going to take us a lot of the season to find oh. out what was going on with Discovery. And maybe the discovery was going to like pop up, you know, halfway through the season and mm-hmm. show us, you know, when they had come in. Uh-huh. So I was very surprised following the crash down, of course, that um, am I jumping all the way to the end of the episode? I don't know. I think is that is that how the episode ends? Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess I did really jump all the way to the end. OK, so Kayla Detmer was my biggest concern in this episode. One thing I noticed is that from the beginning, she is, while everyone else has their eyes closed, right? And everybody's got their head on the ground, you know, with the alarms going off and and all kinds of uh, craziness uh-huh. happening around, you know, the Star Trek one uh, movie effect still happening and uh, us popping out of the wormhole. And rocks, lots and yeah. lots of rocks. Yeah, so the, fr- <laughs> who's gonna put all those rocks back, by the way? <laughs> because there's already, and, and there's already rocks there. So like, I imagine once they hit the ground more, rocks have to be coming out of the walls. <laughs> so I noticed that when we when we first start coming back too, which is before we even like exit the wormhole, uh, with everyone's heads down, Kayla's the only one with her eyes open. I'm not sure what that means, but I think it has something to do with whatever is going on with her during this episode. I do note that when she's like all about business and all like all at work and doing her, you know, uh-huh. rerouting yeah. to gain control, you know, she's not having any issues. No issues. When they're like, brace, brace, brace. Well, she could be still having a uh, hearing issue. I mean, she's kind of talking kind of loud, but she is. they are in a tense situation. And I'm thinking maybe she's just concussed. And, okay. And, that's, and nobody's really well, like... the doctor says later there's no concussion. He does say that. Well, is it whatever her implant is? Have we ever determined? I mean, I'm assuming that her implant has something to do with her eyes and her, with her eye on that side. You know, because yeah, that's yeah. mechanical. And I would assume maybe her ear on that side as well. Like, there's nothing maybe. really, but, nothing really told us. So here's a question: Does the actress really have heterochromia, or is that a contact lens? Um, what is heterochromia? Heterochromia in this case would be uh, one eye, one color; the other eye, another color. Um, well, you see, we saw her during the first couple episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, season yeah. one and yeah. when she was aboard the Shinjo she did not have heterochromia but that could have been a contact lens oh that's fair and she's like these contact lenses hurt I want to find a reason to get this off of me so one thing is that the when her eye goes blue it also has it also goes to circuitry Okay. There's a bunch of circuitry in that eyeball. I don't know if the resolution on your TV allows you to see it, but my mine and my phone actually even, uh, I can see the uh, the resolution. Mm. Let us note that in the uh, in the opening sequence, 
that what yeah. last season were time crystals are apparently not time crystals now. Now they are something else that are red crystals. Yep. Well, the other thing I'm noticing is that that little part where the tiny little discovery is flying over that rain-like structure, that reminds me of the ice surface that they crash landed into. And they've been showing that since season uh, one. Hmm. So they've kind of been giving a little hint at that. I, I do like how every uh, the opening always tells a little bit of the a little bit more of the story every time. I, yeah. I kind of like that a lot. I'm I'm waiting to find out what these hooks are with the gloves. And... I don't think we're ever gonna know what those gloves are. I think that those are just meant for to symbolize you know one culture touching another culture. Yeah. Maybe a cyber culture reaching out to a not a biological. Oh, culture. because because the hook, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So my thing is that the hook is probably a piece of the armature of the suit. Okay. So maybe it would be valid on either one of them, uh, either either the red or the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they start coming back to the second time, so they, they got knocked out twice, right? Because they got knocked out when they came yeah, through yeah. the wormhole. And then they got knocked out mm-hmm. upon the crash landing. But here she's like, fixing her hair and something's wrong you know she's like I'm okay but Oo tells her to go to sickbay sure and she tries to fight it she's still very stunned yeah 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 she's very stunned and she probably you know that's a lot of responsibility like she is the pilot of the ship um, so yeah. she's responsible yeah. for landing it and I could see how that could cause you some PTSD, you know, imagining that you're about to kill everybody, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. A part of her probably wonders how they didn't kill everybody because when those two, when the, when those two buddy buddies uh, were yelling, brace, brace, did they, did yeah. they, or did they not slam, th- smack through an asteroid? Uh, like yeah, they, they yeah they smashed right through the asteroid. Like we saw them about to hit, and then the next scene we see them smashing out of the other side, which means they hit an asteroid. So, yep. what shields did they use to make sure yeah. they didn't just smack on the on the side of that asteroid? Is what yeah, I would yeah. like to know. I have two questions here. Yeah, why did they phaser the glacier? So that's a good question. And, and I also, I, I did a lot of thinking about that. And I thought about the fact that they said aim the phaser for the most dense part of the uh, of the ice. So yeah. that would seem to indicate to me that they, instead of like trying to cleave through it or like melt yeah. through it, that they wanted to yeah. crack it. Okay. To make it softer. No, just to make it not, to give it, to give them space. So like they would be braced by sides of it, but basically like, they wouldn't smack down on it they would land on it like it was tracks um, so it's kind of like so that's why they did three three uh phaser beams so they shot one down the middle to split it and then they shot one on either side of that yeah. split to make those into the tracks yeah as opposed yeah. to like skating okay. across it or you know i don't know if that makes sense but yeah okay. i'm trying to figure like that's the re- that's the only reason i could think of like i'm 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 no scientist okay. i'm an engineer well that leads to a follow-up question yeah weren't they talking just before the impact weren't they talking about finding so- the softer split the impact and yeah. it would glacier ice be softer than rock or or water i guess water doesn't give although glacier ice is water so that wouldn't give either or well you can 
Can you compress ice? You can compress it by warming it. <laughs> wait, no, water expands when it, wait, I'm confused. No, it expands when it freezes. So uh, yeah. it would be hard, it's harder, I, you know, I don't think I get science. Maybe, uh, maybe at some point someone will uh, write <laughs> us in and, and let us know what's uh, what's the what's the thing on that. Um, I don't really know how that makes sense. Yep, yep. Uh, I wish I really wish I did. I really wish there was some yep. resource like you know my my science <laughs> background, which doesn't exist. <laughs> so that was a follow up question to my first question. My second question. Oh, okay. Is so I don't know how to put this. Okay. Um, other shows don't go through nearly as much damage and rough times when they do time travel as Star Trek does. Star Trek always seems to ha make time travel seem like it's this destructive thing to jump through time, or this in this case a wormhole, a time wormhole. Why is in Star Trek? Why is it always so destructive? You know when they go. Go back to the whales. They come out and they're like all shaken up and and. Have well, to when they went back repair. to the whales, they did a slingshot around the sun. So yeah. I think that might have caused them a little little shake upiness. Okay, but the, they weren't doing a slingshot around the sun on this. They were not. They were just going through a wormhole, and I don't know what knocked everybody yeah. out. But maybe it was you know maybe they should ask Data. And maybe Data will tell them that what actually happened is they went through a different wormhole, and then they got sent back to where they were, and then they got woken up a awakened a day later <laughs> after fixing everybody's broken bones and stuff. Yeah. Is that, but I, but there was no like I don't think that um, was Burnham. I don't think Burnham was knocked out when she came through. The, the, yeah. Well, but there's all this damage that happened to the ship. People were, I mean, yeah, they were just in the battle, and so there was bad damage to that. But it seems like there was more damage after the traveling through the wormhole, like traveling through time itself, damaged them. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. Um, I do think that it had to do something with the fact that their pilot and their operations were out of commission as they came through. Uh, there's a there's an interesting uh, inertial dampener idea here. I'm Although not sure I thought what that they is. were damaged because they time traveled. Well, let's not forget that they were already damaged in the first place. Oh, they were before they left. Yeah, because remember there were things shooting at them as oh. they were on their way into the wormhole. So it could okay. be that on their way into the wormhole, or when they were like partway through, something hit them, like some sort of weaponry hit them. Yeah. yeah. From the past side of the wormhole. Okay. Could that be the case at all? Maybe. Yeah, I, I'm i really not sure. I, I don't mean to seem like this is the... Uh, so if you want a uh, podcast that's a, it's a sort of source of definite and certain information, you may <laughs> want to find a different one. one. Uh, yeah. This is just one where we discuss. Uh, conclusions, do we come to them? <laughs> we, we have our suppositions and we offer a potential headcanon. But uh, yep. as far as like conclusive decisions on what what is what i i couldn't do that for you that's uh yep. i think it's your job i think i'm doing doing your job doing <laughs> my job uh you i was actually here let me look at the camera this camera over here is who i was talking to the uh the listeners right over there 
No, no, no. That oh, one. okay. Yeah, there you go. Oh, okay. All right. So there is an element on Earth called rubidium. All right. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a really real element. Well, let me. I'm I'm getting there. I'm 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 doing a walk okay. up to it. So rubidium okay. is the chemical element with the atomic number thirty seven and the symbol RB. Rubidium, okay. however, which just takes rubidium huh. and adds an N as the fifth letter. <laughs> rubidium is an element that was discovered by humans in the asteroid belt in uh, 2038. Now that little bit of canon is from the Starfleet medical reference manual, like page 18. Okay. It's one of those really old, one of the, one of those old favorites of um, of the of one of the between times of Star Trek when things like Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise came out. So there was a medical journal then. Yeah, I'd like to find that. I mean, you. You you know what my favorite position is? I'm a doctor. Uh, I do I do doctor. Yes, absolutely doctor. <laughs> so the uh, first use of rubidium in Star Trek was in the original series in Patterns of Force. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They used it from so it's apparently in the transpond in in transponders, um, and they used it. Spock actually used it to make a laser. Okay. So it seems like it's crystal, and it can attenuate. Uh, whatever goes into it, which is you know what crystals can do, it's uh, it's found in asteroids. That's all. That's all I got for you. I just thought it was uh, a neat thing to okay. uh, to mention about this rubidium thing. So it's been used basically once before in Star Trek, and now we've got it in, in Discovery. So it seems Yay. that we can't get away from canon. Although we finally <laughs> escaped canon into the thirty second century, Discovery writers are intent on mucking around with canon. They're just that, but maybe if they maybe, so this this small use is, is 100% correct. I can't find anything wrong with it because it was a very small mention, you know, one time. So, you know, I they're, they're doing okay so far with canon. Mm -hmm. There's a conversation that goes on in the broken ready room and it's about uh, the prime directive. Okay. And I'm uncertain as to my understanding of Saru's application of the prime directive here okay they are 930 years behind everyone up ahead of everybody oh wait yeah everybody where they're at now yeah yeah so it's not like they can corrupt someone's past i mean they can corrupt someone's past but only their current past which would be actually their future so is is corrupting the future the same thing as corrupting the past and if so shouldn't they be hiding then moving forward from Starfleet lest they contaminate the timeline because are we concerned about only contaminating one side of the timeline as opposed to the other side of the timeline and if that's so why is that so I think what you're saying is how can you contaminate the timeline if you're in the future well sort of what I'm saying is actually that you certainly do contaminate the timeline with something that doesn't belong in that timeline so like well, you can, yeah, if you can contam right. contaminate the past then you can contaminate the future so maybe they're already under the assumption that the discovery disappeared in time or disappeared or was destroyed or whatever. And now all of a sudden it's reappeared and they're like, oh, crap. Now, you know, now we know what happened to you. You know, we contaminated the timeline because you ruined, you spoiled the future for me. Although you know, people want their technology because it's mint condition antiques from a thousand years ago. Sure. If you could get a mint condition antique jar plethora from from a thousand years ago, museums would kill to get that. Um, sure. I I said plethora, but I think I meant amphora. I don't think the carbon dating works. Well, 
because still, if like, I'm not mistaken, carbon dating is something that uh, sort of accrues over time. Yes, it is. Right. So if you skip out of time, yep. then you don't. The carbon dating is so that stuff. The stuff they bring with them would carbon date to its current, its proper age in their time. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it would it would, it would still of, be. Yeah. It wouldn't be 930 years old. It would be a few years old. Yeah. It would be however old that object was when they left the time period that they were in. Right, exactly. So, like, say, Tilly is 25. She's still 25. She's sure. not 1,025 yeah. years old. Yeah, exactly. You take a piece of her hair and you carbon date it, and it's going to come to 25 years old. Yeah, although you wouldn't really need to carbon date it, but yes, I don't. Thing. Squirrel. Wait, was that a boat in the water? A shiny? There was a shiny in the water. You're talking about in the lake as we're uh, watching Saru and Tilly walk toward. They were panning over it, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of on the left side, like near yeah, the uh, near the shore. Yeah, I saw that. I think yeah. it may have been an optical illusion of a rock. Okay. I think if they had seen a boat, they would have talked to the person on the boat before. Filming. <laughs> well, before looking for... um someone further away uh you know i'm thinking oh. i'm thinking of like in story like they would have said oh, hey yeah, the, yeah. hey person on the boat come talk to us before they tried to go somewhere <laughs> further yeah okay um i'm gonna call attention to the fact that um saru brings uh tilly with him on this walk okay yeah and she tries to argue him down she's like why'd you bring me and every reason that he mentions doesn't really explain why he brought her it explains why she, he didn't bring somebody else yeah 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 it's there's no reason for him to bring Ensign Tilly except for maybe like out of the box thinking or maybe um or out of sympathy no and maybe out of like so, you are not these things and that's why I wanted you because you don't f check those boxes and I didn't want somebody like that that checked those boxes so, I wanted the opposite of that so why would you not want someone like that like what like the things that he meant like he why would you not want somebody from like the mirror universe who's aggressive and assertive and a nasty bitch all the time well I was thinking more of like from among the crew and then why would you want to leave your security officer with her to keep her to babysit her <laughs> Oh yeah, that is true. Um, but... <laughs> and you you can't bring Michael Burnham because Michael Burnham's not there. Yeah, yeah. So why not bring Bryce? Especially considering that Georgia was trying to uh, usurp Bryce for her own purposes. Why not bring Bryce with you? So I see why you wouldn't bring Detmer because she's kind of jacked up. We've already established that if you're looking for someone to like well... to to empathize with Luddites, you want to bring a Wosikin. Like that's who we brought on Terralisium with us to like help us figure out what to do. So why not bring her? Which one's the Luddite? So Luddites are, are uh, I'm actually going to get you a, um, a a nice dictionary definition of Luddite because that's what um, <laughs> Awosakun said that she grew up in a Luddite connecti uh, collective um, and that was uh, during the uh, Terralisium episode from last season. Uh -huh. But a Luddite is a member of, a, well, the exact definition, uh, let's see. So it says a member of any of the bands of English workers who destroyed machinery, especially in cotton and wooden mills, which they believe was threatening their jobs. Now, another definition that I see listed below, which actually notes, notes that it's derogatory, but apparently Wosukun, I'm assuming, has uh, risen above 
that yeah. sort of derogatory use of the term. It says a person opposed to increased industrialization or new technology. So a Luddite uh -huh. collective would be like a commune, right? Okay. So it's my understanding that Awosukun grew up in a non-technological commune sort of place. So... So if you want someone who wants to, who's going to help you trudge across a whole bunch of ice and rock, a Wilson Country yeah. One, that's who you should take with you. Oh, okay. So, I mean, to not pick on any stereotypes, but like the Amish and the Mennonites. Sure, sure. Same idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Which I'm going to, I'm going to also relate to like, I'm going to, to like communes. Um, especially uh -huh. in the ones, I forget which ones have the multiple marriages, but <laughs> I'm going to point to that as like a type of commune. Really? Oh, the, um, the ones in Utah. Uh, Mormonism. Mormons? Yeah, Mormons. Well, yeah, but I don't yeah. think, well, Mormons are a little bit, they're not shunning, they're shunning of particular things. I don't know if they're shunning of technology in general. Well, they're definitely polygamists. Yeah, or there is that's that. that's some of their historical belief system. Sure, some of their some of their sects sort of follow that, I believe. <laughs> the um, the thing that took me maybe three watchings of this episode to get was that when uh, Saru and Tilly beam up to the little bar, the first yeah. like minute of of them beaming up is all in slow motion. So from the is time, yeah, yeah, yeah. So from the time they beam in. From the time they arrive on uh -huh. Beeman and everybody pulls their guns is actually about one second, but it's slowed down just so you can see what's happening. Everything happens extremely more quickly than it shows on the screen, but they slow it down to show you the progression of events. Like there's not even time, like the, the people start pulling out their guns immediately. Like why they're even set up as if the guy was sitting there drinking or the guy was wiping on the bars beyond me. No, they're pulling them slowly because they don't want to alert them to what they're doing. Watch it again. It's it's definitely in slow motion. But they walk in at normal speed. No, they do not. Yeah, they do. No, they don't. As, as Tilly Relatively is, normal speed to the speed. Yeah. As Tilly is walking down the stairs, her eyes go left and right during the time it takes her to get from one stair to the next. It's it's all in slow motion. That whole time from the moment of the beam in to everyone pulling their guns is about one second. You gotta go watch it back and watch it again and again and again. You'll see it. It's very very quick. By the time Saru's reaching for his gun, they've already got like they've already got their guns in their hands. It's kind of like they the the people in the bar start moving as soon as they hear the beam in happen. Squirrel. Oh, this guy's got a little uh, Star Wars Padawan braid going on here. Yeah, I um, I'm very curious about these people. Uh, at one point during, uh, at one point during my my first watch through of season three, yeah, someone suggested these people were that the uh, the darker skinned guy, the orangish pallor guy, was uh, was Kelpian, and I've determined that, that is a, mis a mistaken impression, but I they are some sort of reptile people, I believe. They, they do have well, sort of like repelling patterns on there. It's been a thousand years. Could they be relatives of a kelp that is mixed with other things? So I don't know. On the other hand, could they be like the almost spoon shape on some of their foreheads? They could be, a, you know, a mixture, a hybrid of Cardassian and like generations of other breeding mixing in with that. Or I could see that. That might also help me um, think that the region that they're in is somewhere around 
that area. Um, although uh, star maps would really help right here. Um, I don't <laughs> yeah, know the name yeah. of the planet that they end up on. It's just called the colony. Yeah, yeah. So there's not really telling, like, there's not really any placing it. Yeah. You know, on on well, star there's charts. There's one thing I found myself wondering. Uh, I was watching something on YouTube about the Nexus. Sure. From star Trek Generations. Sure. And I got to thinking. Okay, so how far did the Enterprise B go on its on its maiden? What what do they call it? The first mission, the test mission, kind of things. Uh, the shakedown cruise. Sure. Yes, that is it. What? Why? Why did they even leave the Soul System? So they the are, they, they were called away. Yeah, but how? So then these are Alorians on their on their refugee ships. Yes. How far did they have to go to get to these refugees? So because that is Alorians. Really... We don't know. Like, we're never given in canon where their home planet is or was. Hmm. But you would guess it's probably closer to the Delta Quadrant than any other Federation planet, if you, even if they were Federation members. That is very... They should be... If it's a shakedown cruise, uh, yep. they should be pretty close to... Yep. So does that mean so, that they were already headed towards... Federation space or Earth, and already like partway there. From so their, okay, so so at. I think that what is what the deal is with the Elarians is that it wasn't that they came from the region where we where the Enterprise B found them. It was that they happened to be traveling through that region, so okay. they had been refugeed a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. So the Elarians uh, apparently were like a well, a widely traveled people who were spread around all over the galaxy, right? So I think oh, that wherever okay. we see them it has nothing to do with where they where they came from. Um, oh, okay. But there is a star that uh, is known as El Aria, okay. and it is far beyond Federation space. Um, oh, and okay. That that comes from secondary canon, though. So I don't, I can't say that that's how that's going to end up into uh -huh. a sure beta canon. Um, so this comes from the first first draft script for Star Trek Generations uh -huh. that um, El Aria was intended to be the name of Saran's homeworld and it's a star that's far beyond Federation space. Okay. Best I can give you. You mean Saran? Uh, come again? Well, they pronounce it Saran in the movie. S Soren. Like Soren is his name. Tolian Saran is his name. Sure. Not not Sauron from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that's that's, what, a, that's what I'm the, getting. That's yeah, how they no, pronounce it though in the movie. Yeah, it's be. It might be not Sauron. Yeah, so that might be that close. might be that might be Sir Patrick's accent, because it's yeah, Soren, like Soran, Soran. It's S O R A N. In long story short. Yeah. Yeah. Malcolm, what's his name? Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. And that connects uh so now we now we're doing six degrees of star trek so that connects star <laughs> trek to planet of the apes because of roddy mcdowell right sure so roddy mcdowell was like a, a big featured guy on uh from planet of the apes and his i think his was that his son are, that's uh are they related roddy mcdowell yeah um i had always believed that they were father and son okay uh, let me let me make sure, but I, I it's it's always been my belief. I, I could be wrong. I don't, you know, uh, sure. I don't claim to know everything, but I do claim that the internet knows a lot 
<laughs> well, while you're looking that up, a follow-up question is, and, and I, you're, you're aware of this question, but it's, it's in for benefits of our audience and for us, for them to share with us if they want in their comments or whatever. How come nobody ever asked these refugees, who are you seeking refuge from? Where, where, where yeah, you know, what? Yeah, that's a it, really good question. You know, they called them refugees on the, on the Enterprise B, and but nobody says, well, so. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's potential that. Well, I think that the know, Elorians had been on the run for so long that at oh. this point now they're they're running from something different like they they were really? refugees originally from their home planet they settled somewhere there was a problem there they ran from there there was this problem there they ran from there and i don't think they stayed together as a group like they basically like spread out oh. they became a diaspora there is an interesting thing so i was looking up roddy mcdowell like we were talking about i actually looked up uh, malcolm mcdowell right yeah and okay. uh there's an interesting thing i found out about his nephew you'll oh, never yeah. guess who his nephew is so okay sort of. so malcolm mcdowell is yeah. the son of hotelier Edna and Royal Air Force Charles Taylor. So, so that tells me that no, he's not Malcolm McDowell, uh, Roddy McDowell's son. But he has okay. an older sister named Gloria and a younger sister named Glo named Judy. Gloria had a son who's an actor known as Alexander Siddig. The Alexander Siddig? There's, and so when I click on Alexander Siddig, who appears below, along uh, alongside Malcolm McDowell, it comes to Siddiq El Tahir El Fadil El Siddiq Abraham Muhammad Abdel Abdel Karim El Mahdi, who is a Sudanese <laughs> bone actor and director known professionally as Siddiq El Fadil and subsequently as Alexander Siddiq, which I believe is what he changed his name to when he married, guess who? Who? Nana Visitor. Okay. Which is oh, the reason. Right. They did get married, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, which is the reason why she. Uh, you know, had to carry the O'Brien's baby because she was actually carrying Bashir's baby. Oh, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> Isn't that wildly amusing? <laughs> so Berman actually, so Rick Berman, it says, because I, I get like, you know, drawn in rabbit holes, but apparently Rick Berman considered Alexander Siddig for the role of Commander Benjamin Sisko. But in the end decided really? the city was yeah. But in the end decided the city was too young for the role and cast him as Dr. Julian Bashir. Wouldn't it be totally interesting having Sidig Al Fadil as Cisco? Well, instead of the first black captain, he would have been the first Arabian captain. Uh, he certainly would have been. Um, that's. So, anyway, season. let's return to uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, ep uh, season five, episode three. Oh. Wait, is that the Wait, right what show? <laughs> so I, FYI, I I'm watching a different show than I am. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, let's see. Oh, so Freudian hmm. slip much? Because they both start with D. Uh, yeah, the D part, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I always get that D part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there was a confusion. There was some name confusion that happened for me this episode and like the rest of the season. It was very confusing. The guys in the bar were afraid of a guy of someone named Zara. Right. The 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 bully in the bar are afraid of Zara. No, wait. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm following. Never mind. So the 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 lizard guys in the bar are afraid of of Zara. So when I went through this for like the third time, I thought they were saying Zora, and then I thought I actually thought the first time through because I just let it slip in my head. I never like 
really knew the long gray-haired guy's name, right? So I thought that they were oh. talking about Osira, and he was supposed to be like a herald for Osira, right? But you don't know who Osira is yet. But you don't know. So the computer in uh, Calypso is named Zora. So when I first heard Zara, I thought that here in the future, we were under the grip of some like AI technology known as Zora. Mm. So I thought that was going to be part of the story, how we get Zora from being evil to being the discovery computer. And mm. that that was maybe going to tie into Calypso some way. Okay. But um, uh, yeah, I don't... So... <laughs> Let me add to, I don't know why this made, why this occurred to me suddenly, but let me tell you that there was a moment when we were discussing, uh, you know, what, what we're going to do next back in the uh, destroyed ready room, right? Where, uh, you Giorgio mean destroyed 10 forward. I think it was the ready room actually. Oh, oh, which, oh when, I'm uh, sorry. I thought you yeah. were talking about our show. It's okay. Saru, Saru was having the conversation with, yeah, uh, destroyed yeah, with Giorgio and Non and Tilly, and Giorgio will not leave Perfect Tilly table. alone. Like she just keeps laying into her yeah. to the point where yeah. Tilly's like, "Okay, what the?" F and then, and then Saru mm -hmm. is like, "There's a really like strange thing happening." So we have Zara, Zora, Saru, Osira. What is these names are very confusing. <laughs> like, just wait until they add in Osira for you, which I think is going to be in a while. Um. Mm. And do you know what this bartender's name is? No. So his name is Osir. So we have Osir, Zora, Zara, Zara, Osira. <laughs> Someone's really stuck on on that sort of on those names. I'm very it's it's very um it's very uh, unsettling for me to have the names so close together. Well, Zora also is the first name of Kal-El's cousin. Is it? Yeah. Zora Zial. Or Zora oh, Zial. Her name is Zora Zial, like Tora Zial? Wasn't, isn't that uh, the know. name of uh, Gal Dukat's daughter? Tora Zial? It might be. There could be Superman fans on the crew, because the, the name of the first alien that they meet on this planet is Cal. I did notice that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely that seems like some sort of uh, Superman. And then Zoraziel, and then so I I looked up Zoraziel because I've never heard of this person, and it's just it takes me to talking about uh, talking about the computer mm, of okay. uh, of of the uh, Discovery. Uh -huh. You know, the one that was uh, oh. in Calypso. Well, Supergirl is. Oh wait, no, it's Kara Zorel. Yeah, Kara Zor-El, yeah, Zor yeah, Kara Zor-El. It's the family L, and yeah. then you have, like, the, the L's and then the the other L's. I think she's yeah, one of the other L's. Jor-El Jor is Zor-El's brother, and Kara yes. inherited her father's yeah. full name as her last name. Sure, Kara Zor-El, and then there's um, Kal-El, who should actually be, what, Cal Jor-El. For males, it's different than females. Right, right. But like by the naming, by that using that same naming convention, which is so descriptive and helpful, yeah, it, it would be yeah, that would be where that would go. But Jor is Jor-El's first name, even though it's hyphenated with his last name. Jor is Jor-El's given name. Sure, it's Just the like family Cal is, L. 
just like Cal yeah. is Cal's first name. So um, yeah. I don't know how many uh, bingo cards we've given out. But yeah. uh, if uh, don't forget, if you have uh, again today, if you have Justice League <laughs> or Superman on your card, so that's two days of DC Justice Comics. League. It's two two straight days of Justice League that we so, discussed. Yesterday was John Jones. Today is <laughs> today is Cal L in the House of L. Yep. So uh, getting back to the show. So it's a violation of the Temporal Prime Directive for anyone in Starfleet from this time period to interact with Discovery's crew. Uh, Saru is using is applying the prime directive backwards in my opinion. That was my point earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that totally makes sense though. Like he this prime directive would still apply and because they know the prime directive, they would still need to apply it to themselves. They're not trying to protect anybody from the future from right. their technology. Sure. Although they're flying a prototype ship with prototype technology. Including the spore drive, which, for all they know, the spore drive never caught on. Exactly. Know? Yeah, well, I mean, it would have had, the whole project would have had to start over. Well, yeah, and the spore drive was obviously a, a top secret sort of thing, so nobody would have known about it. Historically, it would have been applied only on one starship, that starship being the USS Glenn. Because the Discovery was the one that was wiped from, like, we weren't able to talk about it. So if you can't talk yeah. about the Discovery, and you can talk about the Glenn, then... Apparently the spore drive died out with the destruction of the USS Glenn, but yeah. like, how did we crack the Klingon cloak in that case? I don't know. Because originally it was the starship. Well, originally it was we don't know, yeah, yeah. but now it's like the Starship Discovery did it. Yeah. But the Starship Discovery can't have done it because the Starship Discovery doesn't exist. I'm a little bit annoyed with uh, Stamets. Okay. Why is he down there doing stuff in engineering when he knows he's clearly not capable of it? Because he's too proud of himself and can't delegate. The, well, the, well the, here's the problem. So maybe Saru set him up, right? Because the other, the spore drive specialist that is on the bridge, the one that's the spryest and the most able to like get in those panels and do stuff because she's not injured, is Tilly. The person oh. that should be crawling around the Jeffrey's tubes right now is Tilly, not Stamets, oh. especially since Stamets oh. is injured, but Saru took Tilly. Do you mean set him up in a good way or set him up no, in a bad way? No, set up in a bad way. Like, Oh. He wasn't gonna. He wasn't gonna be able to trust anybody, but Tilly so, probably to do exactly what she was told to do. Right. Um, another right. person who's at spore drive, drive operations is Nilsson. Nilsson is definitely nimble enough to be climbing around in there, but and she's still on the ship. So why isn't Stamets getting his spore drive operations bridge person to go down there and do? I think Stamets is just too bullheaded and, and stubborn to let anybody else do his job for him. There's an interesting thing that happens here in. Um, uh, back down in the uh, in the bar, right? When we're talking yeah. to uh, when when Zara is talking to everybody, uh, there's a part yeah. where um, where he starts speaking in what sounds like a different language. Yeah. Um, it's actually not a different language. He's he's speaking yeah. Federation standard because I hear the English. I've never been able to hear the language so well in previous episodes and in this episode, but I get what you're saying. And Saru complains. He says we need to be speaking common. Which I guess is, you know, what he says is Federation standard, which is fine. Although common is the name of English in Star Wars, not Star Trek. But this this uh, rifle weapon seems to me like it's uh, worse than the Varenti disruptor. Uh, the well, no, yeah, because it's a it's a much slower death. It seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but Captain Giorgio owns it like a boss, definitely. 
I mean, she, I don't know how she resists it. Maybe he's not putting enough energy into it to kill her or, or what, but you know, she's definitely able to take whatever's dealt out from that weapon pretty well. Make, makes you wonder if she has some sort of uh, mirror universe augmentation. Uh, yeah, I don't think that they do augmentation because if you have any defects, they just kill you. Well, but they could augment a already perfect, biologically perfect being, though. Sure. Yeah, I kind of feel like they're probably all already augmented. Like with technology? Like No, just like with biology. Yeah, like I think so that they probably played with their genome a long time ago. And made them oh, all so you into think that, Khan, Nooni, and Sung's. Oh, uh, okay. And, and well, that's what I'm saying. That maybe that's why she's able to resist the uh, weapon a little bit better than uh, Prime people in the Prime verse. Uh, possibly. But the other thing is, is she could have some secret uh, technological advance or uh, augmentation too that is just hidden below the surface. Uh, could we uh, we may uh, later in the season find that out for certain? Oh, I would okay. hate to uh, to spoil anything for you. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I could eventually see somebody come into her and say, "What was the deal? How could you resist that weapon so well?" You know. But anyway. Um, and I don't think she resisted the weapon. I think I don't think he used it. he. I don't think he trained it on her for as long. I, for some reason, he decided yeah, well, de not definitely to. Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, but. I don't know why he decided not to just do away with her. It's kind of strange, it seems. Well, and you got to wonder if that weapon can disintegrate if he was just holding back. You know, when he was killing that other guy. Too. Yeah, and I well, and I also wonder what the hell it was doing. Yeah. Um, this this sees this episode, by the way. Um, so, uh, parasitic ice is one is another thing that I was very curious about. So I looked up, and uh, yeah. it is entirely made up by uh, Star Trek Discovery. Okay. And there's a parasitic ice worm that exists yep. in the X Files. There's a parasitic ice style that belongs to uh, Naruto fandom. Fandom, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure. So there are, but there are diseases hidden in ice, and I and and I'm wondering if the permafrost diseases is what they're talking about when they say parasitic ice, like. Yeah. So the idea is that parasitic ice is a kind of ice that expands rapidly, covering and crushing everything that it touches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there are. I was pretty sure. I was maybe it was in an X Files episode, but I was pretty sure that they actually did discover worms that melted when they were brought above Arctic temperatures. So the parasitic ice worms are leech-like creatures with an ammonia-based metabolism, and likely it says extraterrestrial origins. This is from um, an alien species wiki. So I believe that this comes this comes from the X Files universe, right? Um, it says that they they're believed to have come from Earth to Earth in a meteor that fell to Earth about two hundred fifty thousand years ago, and were dormant under a thick sheet of ice until nineteen ninety three. So that places us firm in an X Files territory. Yeah, yeah. So, but that was about the the worms getting into you, not the actual ice getting into you. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is from an episode of the X Files called Ice. That would be season yeah. one, episode eight. 
those uh, parasites were something completely different that I'm thinking of. I, I thought they discovered life forms that were actual macroscopic worms that lived in Arctic ice on Earth in the real world. Squirrel! There is a thing, there's a thing that happened uh, in season three. There was, there was an original list of uh, episode titles released um, and the episode titles that ended up being in the season are not the original titles of the episodes. The same episodes, but yeah. they seem to have retitled all of the episodes. Uh -huh. um, what I've not been able to find as yet is the original titles. Oh, okay. But I know that that Hope Is You was not originally not a part one. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if that may have been the only change was that the last episode was became part two of that same episode. Uh-huh. Or not. I don't know. Uh, the parasitic ice seems very aggressive <laughs> in growing yeah. up, and it grows up very, very quickly. And I can imagine, like, if it got into your throat, it could actually just, like, blow up your whole body, like, pretty quickly. Yeah, kill you or something, yeah. The, the, the rescue that happens at the end of this episode is so yeah. reminiscent of the discoveries, because previously the discovery pulled uh, the prison shuttle that, that uh, Michael Burnham was on, right, uh -huh. out, of, out of a bad situation. Okay. With the tractor beam. Okay. So I feel like now here in season three, we're signaling once again the beginning of the next stage of the story by using a tractor beam to pull Discovery up. Okay. Right. And they're getting their their good karma back. Sure. Yeah. It's a one good turn to turn deserved another because before it was Discovery pulling. Uh, Michael Burnham out of a bad situation, and now Michael Burnham now Michael is pulling yeah. Discovery out of a bad situation. It's kind of like uh, she's showing appreciation for what has been yep. done to her for her along the way by yep. the Starship Discovery. Yep, this is an exciting end. I want to know what ship she's on. From the background, it looks like she's on a full size ship, doesn't it? Yeah. So here's an interesting thing that happens: is that it was my understanding that she was on her own ship, that she was not on a book's ship. That she was like her, she was she had her own courier missions and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't know what oh. happened to her ship. And well, if it's not just her on that ship, then where is Book? I mean, it seems to me like after a year, after discovering the actual Starfleet in her, in her sector, then maybe they would have assigned her a starship, and maybe she's got her own crew, a Starfleet crew. Yeah. So. Uh, We'll find you out. Can't say. Yeah. We'll find out later in the season what happens. I mean, obviously they're they're kidding. It would be a temporary crew because she would join back up with Discovery somehow. But, um, um, I mean, it certainly seems like there should there wouldn't just be a starbase, but there should be a a ship involved with that starbase that she ran into a year ago. So you would think so, but there's a problem with starships, um, and there's a huge risk in um having starships at warp that there wasn't before. Like, if you spend all your time and energy to get a bunch of dilithium that's going to uh -huh. allow you to um, to fly your starship, and then yeah. the burn happens again, then you've just right. lost... Then you... Wait, do you, you do know about the burn, right? Well, like they talked about it in the last episode. I don't know very many details uh, of it. I, okay. I know as much about the burn as Michael does after the first episode. So basically, it's just something happened, and that's the reason why Starfleet is all in pieces, correct? Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you'll 
you'll learn later uh i think let me look at the list of episodes i believe that later very very soon you'll learn about the burn uh yes yes next next episode you will learn about the burn and it'll be very clearly described um it'll also be like shown to you what what basically happened um and that what they keep in mind that what they show to you is what they know and they yep. haven't investigated it fully because they don't have the full resources that they would usually use to investigate yep. such a thing. Okay. Well, maybe they're going to discover with the discovery how, you know, since they have the resources from the 23rd century. That could that could perhaps be. We do have um, a good, I've noticed the discovery is leaving space for novels. Um, there is an entire year worth of just of uh, Michael Burnham's life that we could do novels of uh, because now that we've caught up we can learn you know how she became a courier how her courier jobs went um, how we did don't she know get... that she became a courier uh, you don't know that yet <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, uh, thankfully, spoiler. Uh, thankfully you will learn that within the first like maybe five ten minutes of next episode <laughs> But there's really nothing else to do. Like, there's no way to get around. You have to have... Oh, I don't want to go too far into it. But uh, I will say that the Discovery's crew, we've lost about 50 members of the crew. Um, In the episode Choose Your Pain, uh, they mentioned that there were 136 crew members aboard the Starship Discovery. And uh, when... She says later on that there's only 88. She says that there are 88 because he tries to call them 70-something, and she said, oh, our injured people are still alive. They're still part of our crew. And she says, yes, there are 88. Um, so that is interesting, an interesting note. The, yeah. uh, the, the fact that Burnham has been there, uh, do, we, do we find out how long she's been there? A year. Yeah, so she's been there. She's been there a year. It's been a year since I saw you last. So there's another, here's another couple of things. So there, I noticed that in the bar... Uh, Zara refers to Saru. See how that name is named? Zara, Zora, Saru, Osira. There, he refers to Saru as a Vajraish captain. Now, the uh-huh. term Vajraish uh-huh. was used by Kraft in Calypso as the enemies. I thought. Well, didn't they reference a Vajraish by in episode one though too? Episode one of this season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they probably did. Yes, absolutely. I agree. 100%. Okay. But now we know that what they're talking about when they say Vidraish is they're talking about Federation. Because Zara points to Saru as a Vidraish captain. Okay. So we're now sure that Federation is a, is a, is a temporal bastardization of the term, or Vidraish is a temporal bastardization of the term Federation. Huh. But then why would uh, Kraft's people be at war with the Federation? I That's a great question. So this is another, I, I don't know. And it, uh, although the Discovery assumed that he's human, but the Discovery scanned him so Discovery would know that he's human. Yeah, Discovery, I think, well, they said where, they said who he was and they said even where he was from by his tattoo. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But she still called him human. I believe that she did. It is my belief that she did. I, we we um, we'll have to do the uh, we'll have to do the short tracks again soon. Well, we'll have to we'll have to cover the short tracks soon. Well, me I just personally, I watched it earlier today. So. Oh, good job. <laughs> There's they're slowly unfolding this Vidrash thing. 
yeah. which uh, which to me because the first inception of it came from uh, who's the guy who's the guy who wrote Calypso, uh, big guy, big 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 huge author. Um, I don't know. I should know his name. Richard he's a, Dick. He's, no, Philip Philip Dick. No, it wasn't him. Uh, I want to say Michael Shabon. Never heard of him. You've never heard of Michael Shabon. What's he written? Well, uh, so he's written uh, Star Trek Picard. <laughs> okay. Uh, he What's he has, written outside of Star Trek? You said he was from outside of Star Trek. Uh, he has done a lot. Is he a show writer or a book writer? So he's a short story guy. Okay, so he, he writes paper stuff, not TV stuff. Sure, but most of the Discovery writers these days are people who are well known for writing paper stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Yeah. Uh, Manhood for Amateurs, Telegraph Avenue, Fountain City, and Wonder Boys. Never heard of any of those. Yeah, so these, this is an author who's won like an O. Henry Award, a Nebula Award, okay. a Hugo I'll Award. I'll take your word for it. He won a Pulitzer Prize in 2001. I don't believe you. Okay. <laughs> the only, the only, uh, the only uh, uh, journalist who ever won a Pulitzer Prize was Lois Lane. Uh, I think that she won a different one. Yeah, she did win a Pulitzer. She did win a Pulitzer. You are absolutely right, but not in two thousand one. In two thousand one, Shabon won it. He won well, it. Well, nobody's won it since Lois Lane. Well, but see, see, he won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Lois Lane doesn't write fiction. Oh. Well, sure, she does. She won Hillary's the Pulitzer Prize for journalism. And <laughs> with superpowers? No, no, no. That's that's journalism. <laughs> that's clearly journalism. <laughs> Um, the the title sequence of Star Trek Discovery. Yes, sir. Uh, always something really interesting in it, right? So there are these the little uh, little physical like they look like com badges, but they're like the circular part is turned the wrong way from Next Generation. Okay. I would note those. Those are pretty interesting. Um, yep. The red crystals that float through um, the title sequence. What do you think they could possibly be? Um, phaser, laser crystals. Hmm. So I'm going to point to the idea that the lithium crystals, according to uh, Star Trek and Next Generation. Oh, that's right. The crystals that they grabbed earlier in the first episode were orangish. Yeah, right? I believe Why would they that be orangish? I believe we've changed the color of the lithium crystals. So try as we might, or, or uh, physically yeah. Within so the universe. so those are the lithium crystals. This is what Zara came for. He came for the lithium crystals. Yeah. So we have now made the lithium crystals. Well, they well maybe the red. title of the burn turned them red. Oh, that's super interesting. I hadn't considered that because Dilithium, I've seen Dilithium. Okay, so maybe, I'm, maybe. I'm one of those people who've, who's played Star Trek Online, and in Star Trek Online, they are purple. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I feel like I've... I feel like, yeah, I, I know, I know. I, and I don't want to argue with all the people who are going to say, yes, it is canon, because there's no <laughs> fracking way that my, that, that Hosea, my uh, Trill Discovery Officer, who is now in the regular timeline, who? Hosea is who? his name. His name is who? Hosea, H-O-S-E-A. Who? Anyway. Who? Spoilers? I don't, I don't, no, I'm talking about Star Trek Online. Yeah. Yeah, Did I'm just. You said something about a Trill on Discovery. No, I didn't. You did? I said, I said Hosea. Who is a trill from the Star Trek Discovery era? 
Oh. So, yeah. So he's got like this old like Discovery style starship and he's tooling around in the 24th century doing 24th <laughs> century stuff. There's no way that that's canon. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, sure. I feel like so I've seen but I feel like the lithium crystals have been like purple before. They've been pink before. So I'm wondering if they could just be any any color that they choose them to be. Whenever they want to show them on screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I would have thought well, you, like Sidon's you know, What's what's up? Rubies, the the type of gem that rubies are, mm -hmm. they can be any color of the rainbow. Oh sure, okay. So maybe we can just say dilithium crystals could be any color. Time crystals are stuck in that aqua blue green sort of color, I guess. Maybe just the ones where they're mining them there on that planet. Oh sure, maybe just Klingon ones are that color. That makes sense. You know root. Rubies are only mined where rubies are. You don't find other amethysts or whatever they are called there, but they're all they're all chemically the same except for the color that they are. Sure. So, uh, anything else on Star Trek Discovery season three, episode two? Um, no. All right. So I think that we have reached the end of our review of of that. What is your number from one to ten for this episode um i haven't made up my mind yet i've only okay. said it twice at this point well i'm gonna give it a six just because it's so quick it's so quick and it's so short yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it i don't think quick. it explains very little i think it explains very little and i think it just like kind of connects burnham back to the discovery yeah i mean i'm really grateful that they they answered that question right away they didn't make us wait all season yeah you know, it also sort of establishes that Saru has some kind of mm, burgeoning relationship with Tilly. Well, maybe he's taking her under his wing. Yeah, like it seems uh, that way because she was under Burnham's wing before, but now that Burnham's right here, maybe he realizes that she needs to have somebody under whose wing to be. Maybe. And. On the Shinzo, Burnham and Saru were kind of like interchangeable as one another. Okay. I mean, it certainly seemed like uh, he was, I mean, she's an ensign. She needs some extra training and some extra help. And she was promoted to ensign pretty quickly because wasn't she a, uh, a, a, a cadet? In she was a cadet. Yeah. She, I believe that if it's my, it's my belief that she was cadet before the wormhole. And when they came out, she was like, oh, now you're an ensign. If, and the reason I say that is because when she was running around with May Ahern, she was in the cadet training program. Yeah. And that was, was that, that was, that was that second season? That was, yeah, second season, I think. Comment yeah, because May Ahern, May Ahern came from the giant piece of dark matter. Yeah. Interacting with spore stuff. So yeah. last season, Tilly was a cadet. So maybe at the same time as Discovery's existence got squashed, she got she became an ensign, which means that on the other side of the wormhole, she was a cadet, and suddenly over here, she's now well, an ensign. Well, I think ensign. she was promo possibly promoted somewhere during the season. Could but be. But she still has some growing to do. She as... does, clearly, right? Yeah. So it's a good thing, I guess, that uh, Burnham has turned up. Because uh, Saru doesn't have anybody he could really use for a first officer. 
Unless he wants to use Georgiou. Unless he himself wants to be first officer and let Michael Burnham have the ship as captain. <laughs> Are because you they dropping did say hints again? There, there's a there's a conversation that needed to be had. Uh huh. Right, because he's the acting captain. Yep. She's technically highest in rank. Well, no, she was she denied a rank ever holding a rank again after her. Well, uh, she was, mission? but then she was reinstated. But Lorca unilaterally reinstated her, and for some reason they decided not to deny that. Oh, okay. Well, and she was call- referring to herself as a commander in the episode one, season three, so she must hold the rank of commander, but sure. te- technically so does Saru. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess his time in rate is technically longer now, because she just got it back. Okay. But uh, I think that we've reached the end of this episode. What do you think? Our episode or their episode? Our episode. Sure, that's fine with me. Are you sure? Uh, to rate the episode, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe a six. Maybe a seven. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you got to pick one. Uh, six and a half. Okay. I think that's fair. <laughs> so one six, one six and a half. Sounds good. So uh, next uh, next episode of our show, just to just to be clear, yes, will be uh, what next are we going to be doing? Well, from the audience perspective, we're going to be doing the next episode. Yes, that's true. It's called People of Earth. It's Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3. We'll see you next time. All right. Lap. L-L-I-P. Oh, I got you on that.